Welcome to the One for the Money podcast. I'm your host, Johnny West. I'm a certified financial planner, and here I will teach you the tips, tricks, and strategies I use to help others retire early. This is the easy button when it comes to early retirement. Everything you want or need to know is right here. I'm so glad you join us on the show. Welcome to episode 38 of the One for the Money podcast. I am very grateful you've taken the time to listen. Many Americans dream about owning property they can rent for passive income. In this episode, I'll answer the question whether it's better to invest in real estate or the stock market. You just might be surprised by the answer. In the tips, tricks, and strategies portion, I will share tax-saving strategies associated with selling real estate. Thank you for listening. Now on with the show. One of the American dreams is to own your own home with a white picket fence next to the beach with an uncrowded surf break in a warm ocean with consistent head high waves that are groomed smooth by offshore winds. Okay, that's actually my dream. Not everyone cares about the beach slash surf park, but owning a home is one of the more common American dreams. And if you take that dream one step further, many Americans also dream of owning an additional rental property to generate passive income. Years and years ago, I read the super popular book entitled Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which apparently many others have as well, and is one of the best-selling personal finance books of all time. What is crazy, though, is there is significant questions about whether Richard Kiyosaki's quote-unquote rich dad even existed, and if the whole story is in fact true. Regardless, this book turned millions of Americans onto the idea of investing their money into real estate to build wealth. Many wonder, which is the better investment, the stock market or real estate? Both stocks and real estate can be a worthwhile investment, but all investments carry risk. So what are the advantages and disadvantages of investing in either the stock market or real estate? First of all, it needs to be mentioned why investing in real estate is hugely appealing. It's tangible. You can drive by it and touch it. You can't do that with stocks. There's also a huge practicality to the investment as well. You could use the rental property yourself if you needed shelter in the future. Again, something a stock or a bond ETF can't do for you. Even if you owned 10% of some publicly traded company, They aren't going to allow you to move into their headquarters. I'll give real estate investors the advantage over stock investors in terms of usability. Another reason why people like the idea of investing in real estate is because it's simple to understand. You buy a property and rent it for passive income. Seems simple enough, but many people wrongly think buying an investment property must be like buying a home, something with which most Americans have experience. But buying a home is very different than buying a property for an investment return. A residence is just a place to live. It isn't necessarily an investment, even though it often increases in value over time. But a rental property isn't that simple. And just because some investments on their surface seem to be easy to understand, it doesn't necessarily make them better or less risky. Real estate, like comic books, classic vehicles, art, collectible wine, or the stock market, 
carries risks as well as potential rewards. I'd say stocks and real estate both have elevated risks. I'll highlight just a few of the risks associated with real estate. The first is that the income you receive isn't necessarily guaranteed. Ask landlords that weren't able to collect rent during the COVID shutdowns or the eviction moratoriums they've had to endure. Additionally, squatters seem to have an insane amount of rights when they occupy a property. Consequently, evictions can be both lengthy and costly. I read an article recently where a gentleman had to take back his mother's house from squatters by squatting in it himself. I'll give stock investors the advantage over real estate investors when it comes to dealing with eviction moratoriums or squatters. But even if you have a great tenant, it still can be a challenge. If you don't have a big enough down payment, it may take a long time before you can really generate positive cash flows, which means you would be funding losses each year. Too many people oversimplify the math. They assume the mortgage is this, the rent would be that, and simply pocket the difference. But they fail to account for real estate agent commissions when they buy the property or to account for property taxes, vacancies, property management fees, and especially capital expenditures such as plumbing, a new roof, hardscape, etc. I'll also give stock investors the advantage over real estate investors when it comes to dealing with surprise expenses. In order to really do well with investing in real estate, you need to have experience and intimate knowledge of home values. That works great if it's a part-time job, but if you don't have that time, then it can be difficult to purchase properties at a discount when you come up against a large corporation that buys them with all cash offers. Of course, the same could be said with individual investors competing against large investment firms as well. So I would say real estate and stocks are similar, but would give real estate the edge since it's easier to understand the underlying value of the singular real estate investment. Now, one challenge with investing in real estate is that if you have a primary residence, you already have a significant amount of your net worth tied up in housing. Most people's homes have a much higher valuation than their 401k. What are some of the advantages of investing in real estate? Quite a few, actually, including the ones I mentioned of usability and assessing value. Other advantages include the income generated by real estate tends to be higher than the dividends or interest generated respectively by stocks and bonds. Probably the single greatest advantage of real estate is the ability to borrow money to leverage your investments at low rates. Sure, you can borrow money on margin to buy stocks, but it's a lot more risky and you pay higher rates than borrowing to buy real estate. I'll give the advantage to real estate for leverage. Another advantage of real estate is that because it is an illiquid asset, it won't show you the market value on a daily basis like stocks will. Owners of real estate feel their investment is more stable than a mark-to-market daily valuation for the stock market. Of course, illiquidity is also a disadvantage as well. In February of March of 2020, during COVID, housing prices didn't crater the way stock prices did. On usability, higher income, easier ability to leverage your investments with borrowed money, I'll give the advantage to real estate every time on those. However, with the volatility of stocks also comes the advantage of liquidity. You can sell out of a stock a lot easier than you can sell out of a home. I'll give the stock market the advantage there. Now, lots of people own investment properties, and many of my clients do as well. 
And these properties are incorporated into the financial plans that I create for them. Here are some interesting facts regarding investment properties, courtesy of getflex.com. I'll include a link in the show notes to this information. There are over 50 million rental housing units in the United States, and around 41% of these rental units are owned by individual investors, and over 50% of these rental units are owned by businesses or partnerships. For the individual properties, over half of all landlords manage their own properties. Now, just under 50% of landlords have had to ask a tenant leave early, and approximately 6% of rental properties are unoccupied. And landlords typically handle six repair calls a year from tenants. Finally, to the question, which is the better investment, the stock market or real estate? Well, let's look at the numbers. Well, if you had $100,000 and you invested that into the purchase of a $500,000 home, you would have a $400,000 mortgage. At current rates, you would have a 6.5% rate for 30 years, and that's assuming you have good credit. Now, your mortgage payment on that would be $2,500 a month. Now, your rent is approximately 1% of the value of your home, so a $500,000 house would rent for approximately $5,000 a month. Now, $5,000 of monthly income less $2,500 of mortgage would give you a $2,500 monthly income. Of course, this is where too many people stop calculating. They still need to account for a number of expenses. The first are taxes. You know, these can be considered at 1%, and that's really on the low side. And so that would be $5,000 a year. Insurance would be another $1,000 a year. Taken together, that's $6,000 a year or $500 a month. So now your $2,500 profit is now down to $2,000. Now another 5% needs to be subtracted for potential vacancies. That's just assuming one month out of every approximately two years where your house would be vacant. Too many people try to dismiss potential vacancies. So 5% of $2,000 is $100. So your monthly profit is now $1,900. You should subtract another $150 per month for city services. That's the water, the trash, et cetera. We're down to $1,750. And finally, you should, and I should emphasize, subtract another $500 for property management fees. Now you're down to $1,250 a month. Now, if you think property management fees are expensive, Try renting without one. It'll no longer be passive income, but rather active income and a part-time job if you manage it yourself because you'll have to arrange repairs, do the showings, and run credit reports for potential renters. One bad tenant can throw off the math really easily. Finally, I'd add another $250 a month expense for capital expenditures, such as roof repairs, hardscape, plumbing, you know, air conditioning, heating, ventilation, and of course, electricity. That might be on the low side of considering what capital expenditures may be required over 30 years, such as a roof repair. Now, some years during a 30-year mortgage, they won't be any capital expenditures, but in other years, there could be tens of thousands worth of these expenses. All told, you're down to $1,000 a month profit. Still better than a kick in the pants, but much less than what people initially think. And that's assuming no homeowners association fees and that clients are assuming all the gardening and utility costs as well. 
If you had really bad capital expenditures, such as a slab leak or roof repair or HVAC repairs, that impacts your investment returns in a hurry. Now, in this example, I made many assumptions. Interest rates are presently high at 6.5%. Lower rates, though not a guarantee, would make the math better for a real estate investor. But I did choose a very low property tax of 1% and low capital expenses as well. Given it's a 30-year mortgage, let's look at what your investment 30 years later would be. $100,000 was used to borrow another $400,000 at 6.5% to buy a house. Your original investment is $100,000. You bought the house at $500,000 and it's growing at 3.5% per year, which is the historical rate of increase for real estate. Your house at the end of 30 years is now worth $1.4 million. Now, some would argue the rate of increase should be higher, but that's why we use historical averages. The total payments of 6.5% mortgage would be $910,000. Just on the price, you would gain $490,000, but that isn't including the income you received each month, as also you would have received $12,000 of income a year. Now, if that is adjusted upward 3% annually for inflation, that gives you another $570,000, and that's assuming you are adjusting your rental rates. Another reason a property manager may be to your advantage. Now, $570,000 of income plus $490,000 in appreciation gives you $1.06 million on your $100,000 investment. Now let's compare that to the stock market. Instead of using $100,000 to invest as a down payment on a house, you invested $100,000 in the stock market. I'll use the S&P 500 and the average return using the S&P 500 since 1957 when they started using all 500 stocks. That average return each year was 10.15%, and that's with dividends being reinvested. I'll subtract 1.15% for advisory fee and expense ratios for exchange-traded funds and mutual funds that you most likely would be using. Your $100,000 would become $1.326 million at 9%. Now, that 9% is the historical average and certainly no guarantee. And that's higher than what you would receive from real estate. So let's instead use 8% where your 1,000 would grow to 1.006 million instead. That would account for higher potential fees and lower growth. Consequently, the stock market grew 100,000 to 1.06 million in 30 years at 8%. But real estate grew that 100,000 to 1.06 million. Now, please note that I'm only using arithmetic averages and not geometric averages for these calculations. I used an arithmetic average for simplicity. After investing $100,000 in both real estate or stocks, they're both pretty similar. And there's a boatload of assumptions made for each. Well, as you can see, the outcomes are pretty close to one another. Of course, Many assumptions were made which advocates on either side of real estate or the stock market might trifle with. For example, real estate appreciation might be too low or stock market returns too low. And of course, nothing was noted about taxation, such as depreciation with real estate or tax loss harvesting with stocks. So which is the better investment, real estate or stocks? Well, the internet won't provide the answer as you can find articles online that will convincingly argue either side and few will play it down the middle 
as I believe I did. As the numbers show, it's six on one hand and half a dozen on the other. It's more equal than many might imagine. For this reason, it's important to invest in both because you don't want 100% of your investments invested only in the stock market and you don't want 100% of your assets invested only in real estate either. It's important to have a healthy balance. Where I see stock and real estate investors get in trouble is when they have too much of one and too little of the other. Suffice it to say that with all investments come risks, and with those risks come potential rewards. While some favor real estate or stocks and others favor stocks or real estate, I strongly advocate that you have both. But I'll concede that stocks are in some ways much less interesting as evidenced by the fact that my wife would much rather watch HGTV and real estate shows than watch a show about the stock market instead. Well, thank you again for listening. I do hope you found this helpful. Now on to the tips, tricks, and strategies portion of the podcast. Welcome to today's tips, tricks, and strategies portion of the podcast, where I'll share tax-saving strategies when it comes to selling real estate. An example of saving money on taxes and earning income on a property is through the primary home exemption. The principal residence exclusion is an IRS rule that allows people who meet certain criteria to exclude up to $250,000 for single filers or up to $500,000 for married filing jointly in capital gains tax from profit when they sell their primary residence. Now, to qualify for the principal residence exclusion, you must have owned and lived in the property as your primary residence for two out of the last five years immediately preceding the sale. Now, those two years do not have to be consecutive. So what that means is that you can move out of your primary residence for a few years and then rent it for income and still enjoy tax savings when you sell it. A lot of factors to consider, so best to speak with an accountant and a real estate agent about those. Well, again, I hope you found this helpful. And remember, a better life is a result of better planning. Have a great one. Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember that no one builds wealth by accident. If you want to learn more about how to build wealth to retire early, head on over to my website at betterplanningbetterlife.com. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal professional. Johnny West is a registered representative with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC.